The concept for ePartrade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for ePartrade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing, and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePartrade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePartrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning from California. It is nine o'clock. Welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from ePartrade, presented to you by ARP. I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of ePartrade, the global online platform for the performance and racing industry. This is episode 208, and we're going to be talking to David Streme from Lethal Chassis. With me this morning are Judy Kin, the co-founder of ePartrade, and a wonderful host, Mr. Jeff Hammond. Judy? Well, thank you, Francis, and thank you everybody for joining us today. I'm really excited to have David Streme on with us today. You know, he started his racing and short track racing, moved all the way up to NASCAR, and he's back working short track market. So I'm really excited to see his race shop today and hear what he has to say. So, Jeff? Oh, okay. And my turn? <laughs> yes, <laughs> your Good turn. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> and Francis, it was not 9 o'clock when you said it was 9 o'clock. It was 9.02. So let's get it right. You're right. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm glad to see we have been now been joined by Mr. Stremmy, Mr. David Stremmy. Good morning, David. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I am wonderful. I really am. I'm, gl I'm glad to see you. And uh, I'm excited about getting a chance to see where you have your business set up at Lethal Chassis and to talk to you a little bit about uh, short tracking and everything else. So, uh, you know, welcome to the Apartheid. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh Short track race has been pretty good as everybody has seen. And we've uh, been pretty blessed to have been able to build a, a dirt modifieds for the past seven years and took something that was passionate um, in short track racing and, and turned it into a business. So we're really happy with that. We've got a lot of great partners and vendors and, and everybody, a lot of them that are on ePart Trade too. So um, to come on here and kind of talk about short track racing and our business and and uh, especially, you know, uh, what I'd like to touch on is, is like you've had a lot of success in the NASCAR industry, same with myself. And But short track racing where it's at, I, I love it. And uh, it, it shows too. We do too, David. We really do. And so, Jeff, we'll let you take over for the next 45 minutes. You guys are on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Francis. Uh, David, let's just go ahead and uh, kind of like jump right into it. Why? I mean, you know, you've had a very successful career in racing overall, but to me, it looks like, you know, you, you've jumped back in here and, you know, you're, you're taking on more. I mean, you know, you're back where you got your, you know, your first start in the short track racing, but now you've also decided to get into the business of building cars. And to me, I think that puts you under a lot of pressure 
and and a lot of responsibility because when it comes to a racer, especially the new racer, and I, I'd like to address that too in our conversation, a new racer is looking for the magic. You know, you know what I'm talking about when I say the magic. They want to be able to get oh, yeah. behind that wheel, that car, and they and they want to be competitive. And more importantly, they want to know they can win. So yeah. how do you deal with that as an experienced racer, but also now as a businessman? So first, uh, in, at the end of my NASCAR career in 14, I was kind of looking to do something different. I was, I was burned out more or less, but um, I didn't grow up dirt track racing. I grew up asphalt racing and short track racing and always had built my own cars. And uh, what we did is I, I had bought a car from a, a, another company and I couldn't get help, couldn't get parts and do anything. And, and um, we kind of took what I've learned on the asphalt side and what was here in the dirt industry and just kind of made our own uh, design. And, and then we had seen in the first year that we had to kind of set uh, how many cars we were going to build. But what we brought to the table was is what a lot of people are looking for in this and what you talk about this new racer where um, they wanted. I mean, they, they don't have time to build a body or, or nose panels or even yet a car. You know, I was it was very different for me to come in and go when, when a guy goes, hey, I just want a car where I just put my motor in. So what we did is we have three packages they can buy from. And then we have, um, you know, obviously uh, body panels and just anything to make it easy for them, whether it's even a technical side through setup. So this new racer, they just don't have time and, and, and they either have a business or their job or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely changed how short track racing is, you know, growing up, just like yourself, you'd get in the garage, you'd build, you might talk to your buddy, but you were, you were into everything. And now you have to make it so easy basically for the, the customer. And, and we try to do that. Um, we, we have customers that we've never even met in person. Uh, we ship a car out, uh, discuss over the phone setup, kind of make it really easy for them to set the car up. And then, uh, you know, they go on a race and, you know, we've, we've got customers, like I said, probably four or five years now. I've never even met them, but they've been running our product. So, David, what what has been the hardest thing for you as far as getting the business up and going? Like, say, you, you know, I'm sure that, you know, just trying. Yeah, I'm David Strimmer, okay? You know, I've been successful in racing. How do, how do you convince people? And, and, again, I'm sure there's people that, have companies that maybe are like yours it may be on this on this seminar today and i don't want you giving away total business secrets but at the same time um how do, how do you build that confidence number one that you've got a good product and then number two uh how do you go through the updating and the innovating how does all, how does all that right there kind of come into play at the same time well we started in uh literally a 1500 square foot shop and uh as growth and doing things again, we only, we limit how many cars we build a year. So um, we have older customers, we have ongoing customers. It's always a battle of, yeah, I could, I can see where other builders want to build 200 cars a year. I choose not to. We want to be more personable with our customers and we see other competitors of ours doing that. So uh, the challenge has been is watching your overhead, just like any other business. We we try to stay small, but yet we're in year seven and our growth of, of inventory of parts. And even to the point of personnel, we've, we've added another guy. We're, we're at a point where we need to add more, but we're, we're just being careful. So I'm pretty hands-on. Um, we're so as I have what I call skin in the game, you know, I'm in the shop, I have my own cars, uh, you know, so when we're out competing, um, you know, I want to win just as bad as my customers do. So, you know, it's obviously a balance and it's very hard. Like take Florida here. We just come back from speed weeks. We had, we had 28 customers there. We average around about that number every year now. So what I did uh, about three years ago, I took one of my customers. It's a pretty good friend of mine, this Dan Davies. And I have him there as a consultant throughout the day. Not only um, he can, he can work with our customers. I'm there too, but I'm also, I need to develop and work on our cars as, as we go forward. Plus, we house a car for a gentleman, so we take care of his. So we had to lighten up the load, but probably the performance on my end isn't always at 100%, I call it, because we're trying to help customers and, and, and move forward with, uh, you know, obviously development in the car. So, but we do, I think last year I run like 18 races. We won 
I'm, I'm, I don't really keep track, but five or six. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not bad, but that is the biggest struggle is with any company I feel is the growth, you know, how do you go and, uh, and, and make that next step. And we're balancing now, obviously with what's going on in the, the economical world of, of, you know, inflation and, and with, especially with this war and all the, the fuel, uh, you know, we're just watching it. All right. How much do we put in our inventory even more, you know, uh, what inventory are we putting it in? And even through overhead of people, you know, I'm, I'm on the side of trying to be cautious of hiring some more guys, because uh, if there is a downturn, let's face it, racing uh, is probably one of the, I wouldn't say the first things that go, you know, it's just a fun thing, you know, at this grassroots level. So, um, you know, we're just trying to manage that, but, you know, we're in it for the long haul. Cause as a racer, I tell people, you know, it's, it's, it's addicting and we have the product that they're addicted to. So. Well, you, you bring up really good, a very valid point. You know, you've got those addicted racers, which I would say you and I are kind of the same vein. Cause I, I mean, throughout the very beginning, when I started, when I was 12 years old and I'm 65 now, I still love a racetrack. I still love going to short tracks. I don't care if it's asphalt, if it's dirt, there, there is an air and there is a feeling and there's an energy that I draw from when I get there. You know, and I don't have to be in the middle of the battle to basically, you know, siphon yeah. that energy and stuff away from people that are, that are consumed by it. I mean, and, and I, you know, last year, I think was so much fun. Again, I, I don't think I got a chance to really express this, but I want to make sure everybody's listening. That's listening. that I say this last year, working with you with the SRX deal was one of the most fun things. And I, I learned so much about you and the way you approach race cars. And, a, and approach to different racetracks. I mean, because we saw a variety of racetracks. I mean, yes. everything yep. from Stafford to Eldora and, and it you know, culminated at Nashville. Uh, that pretty much runs a gamut about any kind of short track or dirt track uh, in, in the country. And I, I was, I appreciated the way you tried to, because again, you were working basically with customers, which I would consider the drivers at that time was like a customer and, and trying to understand them and coach them and, you know, not that we could do a whole lot, but the way we went about methodically trying to sort through it to make sure we did do everything we could to put on the show for the folks. But, you know, I really grew to have a huge appreciation with how you had, you know, I think come full circle of being able to be the total racer. If I could say that to you, I really do. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. Uh, it was, it was fun. I tell people uh, a lot of fans that talked about the SRX racing and, uh, everybody involved is what made that from yourself and Ray and just the drivers, every, everybody Schrader. Uh, what was, what was neat about kind of my input or, or my, uh, my role in that was I, I didn't really care to race against Tony or Bobby. I mean, I've done, I've raced against him. Yeah. It'd been neat to, to race against Elio or, or Tony Kanan or even Paul Tracy, but it was, it was neat when we were at like Nashville and Elio's running at top and just wearing them guys out coming through and, and explaining the different tracks and, and, and characteristics of them that I've been able to learn growing up short track racing, but it was just fun to work with guys. And we do that a lot too here with our business, with, with a racer, as we're talking to them, you know, over the phone or even at the track, it's sometimes not even about setup. It's more about, you know, Hey, we need to work on your, whether it's a mental approach, whether it's, you know, what the track is doing and, and how they're going to approach that. It really sometimes don't even have anything to do with setup. So, that was a neat thing with doing the SRX. It has to do a lot with same with, with what I'm doing now. And, you know, we, we enjoy it. We enjoy the su success here we have with our customers because without customers and, and them winning races, it doesn't matter. I could go out and win a hundred races. And I feel you might sell some cars, but you're not going to sell as many when we take uh, different drivers that, that maybe aren't as competitive and able to, to win races. So we, uh, we get that every week, but I hope, I'm hoping that uh, we get to do the SRX this year. I've talked to Ray and some of his guys, and hopefully all that works out because it, it was a blast in six weeks that we got the race. Yeah, it really was. You, you talk about what you did last year, and you, you mentioned the fact of the Florida being down there for speed weeks and your customers that you have down there. Did, did this year, based off of what you did last year, did you feel any different as far as the car builder and, and the, the coach at speed weeks this time 
compared to maybe years in the past? Did you feel like you maybe you communicated better with some of your customer or you were a better coach than what you were maybe with them because of the SRX experience? Because I, again, I'm sitting there and as a crew chief, I always try to absorb when people are talking of how to drive a car, what they're, you know, what drivers are feeling in cars. And again, I go back and you mentioned Kenny Schrader, which he is just a, he is, he's a short track guy, just like you. I mean, he is so dyed in the wool short track racing. It's scary. I mean, you, you think if you cut him, you know, that's what he would ooze out would be, you know, Eldor dirt or, you know, someplace, you know, like, like Peevely or whatever, but you guys you're doing such a good job there. Did, did any of that, did you feel like you maybe had, you know, picked up a few things when you got to Florida this year and were working with your customers? Oh, for sure. You know, anytime you're around one, the quality of people, just, just whether it was uh, crew chiefs, uh, meaning yourself, Todd Parrott, uh, you know, Tony Jr. was in there. Uh, even when you had Keith Coons come in and, and uh, Tim Kloss and, and, and then I'll be honest, being around Ray was phenomenal. Ray Everham had a lot of insight when we were shaking cars down and, and trying to make sure they were all pretty equal, just what he had said, a few things and really stuck in my head, but the drivers, it was neat how they approached it. Never been anywhere, just, just firing off. And obviously they all have had uh, very successful careers, but watching them, uh, you know, how they approach things with never being in that type of car. And I tried taking that with, some customers that say maybe have never drove a dirt modified or even like went to Volusia or, or any track. And that's the biggest thing. Anytime I tell people when we're, when we're doing, uh, you know, speaking classes or anything is just try to absorb the people you're around and network and, and, you know, really get involved with those people. So, and that's the same thing we're doing, you know, with our company, with lethal of watching or monitoring the market and everything right now, you know, we're, we're booked out till about July right now on cars. Um, we stay pretty far out. Our customers know that if they want to get on, on the list, they got to they got to get on early. Um, we've had a few already order for next year, this fall, I should say, but we're monitoring, you know, whether it's my customers that have business or people in the industry, you know, what's going on, you know, where, where are things headed and where are things at? Because uh, short track racing is huge. And again, unlike, the, 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 the NASCAR or NHRA or IndyCar, those guys make a living at that racing. Short track racing, you know, there's very few that make a living. So, uh, you know, we got we to gotta make sure it's staying healthy and we're trying to stay ahead of that curve, you know, of when what's going to be going ahead. I'm glad you brought that up because it was weighing on my mind when I was thinking about what we're going to talk about today. What's your biggest challenge? Is it the different types of, of racing that are out there and, you know, you build a car because let's just say you got 10, 10 customers that, that go to a, a track X, let's just say in Ohio, and this is their home track. And so you build 10 cars like that. Well, then all of a sudden you built 10 cars and somebody else pops up down the road or you, they want to go across state lines and go to some other track. And all of a sudden your car's made illegal. How do you stay ahead of that to be able to have a car that is embraced by a multitude of associations or with subtle changes that will allow this customer to take it wherever he needs to and maybe, you know, change one little thing or two things and all of a sudden, you know, you, you fit and you can race? Yeah, that's it's definitely challenges uh, with everything. Um you know, there's, there's kind of multiple answers there. One is, as we go out, we try to race in all the different, um, you know, the, the, the sanctioned bodies. So if you really, it's really easy in our modifies and you look, uh, if you took the Mississippi River and went east, it's pretty much what they call UMP. It's um, Dirt Car owns it. Uh, and then some of Minnesota, you have uh, uh, North Dakota, Wisconsin is what they call Wasota. Then they have... The, the rest of the country is basically IMCA or USRA, USMTS, and they're all different. Unlike a sprint car or late model or a legend car or anything, mm -hmm. um, you definitely have changes. Now, when you see the cars behind me, um, there's a couple IMCA cars going together and UMP cars. For the average person or even a racer, they don't see much different. Uh, the difference is not in the frame itself. It's in components and, and what you're doing. But that is the hardest thing is keeping up with each organization and 
um, you know, with, with especially this winter or going into the winter is the, uh, the rules updates. And we were able to, from being involved in obviously the, the upper ranks of, of racing, I call NASCAR and stuff. Uh, we were able to bring to the table, Hey, let's put some builders, like get all the builders on a email list, just simple things. So we're all communicating together um, and, and trying to get better, but it's very difficult. It's always a moving target. Uh, the number one thing is always safety. Um, I feel like our cars, uh, the quality, um, the type of material we're using is, is no, no, there's no other person on the market uh, coming close to, uh, we use Plymouth Pro Molly. It's 4130, same as drag racing. It's an aircraft quality. Um, so, I mean, we had, we had seven cars flip last year, different organizations, and uh, we, we, everybody was safe. A couple of them we actually fixed and went on. So, uh, we're always moving on that, um, but it is challenges, you know, keeping up with the organizations and, and moving and then with customers too, because we go out, uh, like myself, I went to Batesville, Arkansas, race an IMCA show, only do it about once a year, um, different kind of dirt, different atmosphere, uh, went to Las Vegas with a customer that we, we house his car, uh, again, different kind of dirt. And it's funny because every place you roll into, you have that race and they're like, oh, this is the slickest place you've been to. And that's the baddest guy in the country. And I'm like, we kind of know who is tough. And then to me, I always tell them the slickest place I've been to is before they paid Darlington. I was out there in, <laughs> in the whatever you want to call it, Gen 6 car, COT car, whatever. And I said, yeah. you're out of control, tires wearing. I mean, you know, you, you'd leave pit road and didn't even want to touch the throttle because it was killing the tire wear you know, dirt slick, but there's nothing like that Darlington. And I try to tell them, I go, this, this is, there ain't nothing slick yet that we've been on, but uh, it is, it is very important to us in our business to make sure we get out with our customers. And we have some uh, areas that our customers are running more in, uh, I would say, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, kind of out in Minnesota, North Dakota, we're going to get to this year and, and try to race some with those guys. Do you, would you be in favor if they if they had a a council of dirt modified got you know tracks? I'm just using them for an example. Yeah. If they decided they want to put together a council and and talk about the pros and the cons of their different series to try to get a closer um, car or agreement to where it be where, where people could cross over, or do you think it's better that they are independent and you know that they they take care of their racers in their area. I mean, do you, you think there's, which, which way do you think it, it works the best? Well, I think, I think we have to look at the, 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 the surrounding and again, the, the, what's going on in the world. Uh, one, we use uh, pretty much, I would say 90% of the, the modified builders use an aftermarket. It's a 68 to 72 Chevelle front clip. We get this clip in pieces. Uh, then we have to weld it all together. Anyway, by the time we're done, it's upwards of over $2,000 just in the front clip. And it's like, why are we, we recreating something 50 years plus old? So I get what they're doing. And the thing that I've said is, hey, we have to, as a group, uh, them organizations have to lead and go, we cannot make the current cars extinct, but we got to learn from other organizations and make a, whether it's a spec front clip car that is the same weight and size and everything as, as what everybody's currently using. But, mm -hmm. you know, they don't need to go to on these sanctioned bodies and go, Hey, we all got to run the same tire or, uh, you know, other little minor components that's easily changed. You know, they're not much difference, but it would be nice if they could get all, all get in the room. But a lot of it comes down to egos, I guess, you know, they, some don't get along with others and, um, I've kind of looked at maybe I need to make a or take a mediator role and kind of try to put them all together because I've dropped comments and doing stuff and I don't think mm -hmm. it's far off, but they definitely all have their positives on, you know, why they feel in their, what is different on their organization from others. But the thing I really look at is, um, again, I don't come from a family with big money or anything else, but we have to watch cost in these cars, you know, and, um, I've said all along, there's some components and some pieces that as a, as a, the industry, we have to look at, and try to make better as we see in others, whether it's late model racing or sprint cars, or, um, even on the asphalt side, it doesn't matter what it is. They see a concern and go, Hey, this cost, we're, 
we're all spending so much money. We just seen it. I was impressed with, uh, you know, not to get off subject, but like the NASCAR race at, at Vegas, this new car they're running and everybody's, you know, with the components they're using and everything else. It was very easy. You took, you seen Kyle Busch just pull another car out. They went and run it. They didn't have a specific car for his stable. Um, cars wrecking. And I think, again, that industry, they knew they had a problem with economics of, of what was going on with their current car. And they've, they've helped it a lot. And I feel it's the same way as organizations. We really have to look at what's going on, especially in these times when you, when you take, for example, uh, you know, and, 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 and it's a hot topic right now is fuel costs. So you take racing and this racer is going to go to the racetrack and you take his fuel and, and the cost of an inflation of parts and everything. Well, we're still running for the same money. And that racer, all of a sudden you're running for, let's just say 20% less of the purse. That's pretty big. And it's not yeah. going to take long for them guys when they're filling up at the pump or whatever it is to go, Hey, I, am I really making the right choice to go this far or go to here? So again, we need to look at what can we save them on and we really need to, as an industry, get together. And I feel hopefully the organizations will do that, but I don't know if it'll be anytime soon. Well, you know, you bring them some interesting points and, you know, just kind of like food for thought. Uh, and I, I don't want anybody to take that I'm, I'm slamming one of these associations, number one, yeah. because they're, they're doing an outstanding job. They're giving um, organization and structure to what would be an out of control bunch of wild men behind wheels. Okay. So where I'm going is looking at the big dog on the block and some of the things that NASCAR has done and you pointed out the car and you talk about the fuel. See, one of the things that I think that they have done successfully is coming up with a way to get transporter fuel and they buy on volume now, like a trucking company rather than individual teams. I mean, even, you know, you think, you got four rigs running up down the road. I'm just using conservative number. Yeah. Well, you can't go into a, to, uh, a truck stop and fill up and, and get a deal with four trucks. But if you took 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 teams, you know, when you put them all together, Camping World Truck Series and Xfinity, everybody, and you're able to maybe cut a deal, there's somebody out there that runs a truck stop that, man, if I could get that kind of guaranteed customers coming in here on a regular basis, yeah, I'll cut you some slack on the fuel. You got to, you know, you drive volume. Yes. So uh, I see the same thing and I'm, I'm glad you're willing to do that. And the reason why uh, I like what, what the direction you're going in is you openly say, look, I'm not a, a guy trying to build 200 cars. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to come over to your association and say, well, yeah, if you use my car, you know, I can, you know, cut the guys some slack and then turn right around and you, you know, you get a car count of 50 or 60 more just for your business because they give you the approved chassis or whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't hear this from you. I hear you trying to be common sense. And like you say, be a moderator because I'm only wanting to build, you know, 25 cars a year or whatever. You know what I'm saying? You're not trying to steal business from other car builders or anything. You're trying to make sure that we're all still got, we're gainfully employed and the well, racers, the racers get what they need, which is a place to yeah. go race in good cars. If I could just to add what you're saying. So one of the things that I did this year kind of took upon myself and some people, I guess in the industry, maybe thought I was a prick or doing something. I don't know. I don't really care because <laughs> I was trying to look out for what was best for our industry is, is they came out with a rule in our organization of modified and, uh, basically made it where 90% of the field wasn't legal. So I went in touch with 15 other builders of big builders and said, listen, where's, where's your number at? What's this? And all of us were like, what are they doing? You know? And, and we all seen cost of aluminum going up and then the, the supply of just trying to get it, you know? Yeah. At the end of the day, I probably cost myself money because we could have easily shipped out interior kits for what they were trying to do, made money on the aluminum. It had been easy to fix, but I said, look, that, 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 that guy that is at home that probably isn't going to change the deck in his car, it's going to cost him more money. And he's going to look and go, man, you know what, what am I doing? You know, spending this money or how do I even get this done? And so I took it upon myself to call them and then got with the organization. And thankfully they, they put it off a year. And I go, look, we got to be smarter about what we're doing as a whole. And I think when you look around, whether it's drag racing or, or, or NASCAR or even the dirt racing, you know, I think we all learn from one another and that's, what's neat, you know, and I feel uh, a lot of it is just getting the correct information. And that's what, 
you know, we try to do uh, as, as myself is just me and the experience I have, not necessarily our company, but, you know, it, it's, it's hard, but, you know, you talked about buying in bulk and fuel and them haulers. That's a lot of the things I've seen and learned, and we try to do it here. We try to buy in bulk and, and uh, have more product. Uh, not, I wouldn't say call it hoarding, you know, the market. It's more, I can buy in volume and get a better price. And then in return, I can give that price to the, to the customer. So, um, you know, it is, it's challenging, but uh, what's, what's even more challenging, and I think you'll understand this, we've been able to be at a level where, and be around people that it, it's the top of all of racing to me is NASCAR. And you're able to come back and, and go to whether it's short track racing or whatever it is, you can bring knowledge. And, and a lot of times they look, oh, you're just doing it for money. No, I, I love racing, you know, no different than yourself or others. So, you know, it's, it's very hard, it's challenging. Um, but, you know, I think again, I wanna be able to, even if I'm not driving and I just wanna go enjoy myself, whether it's a silver crown race at some dirt track or I can go watch a snowball derby or anything, uh, go have a, enjoy it. And it's going to be there for me to enjoy. So we all have to do our part and try to keep getting better. Well, again, I go back to what I said originally and, and, and going from what opening comment that uh, Judy Keene made about you, you know, you've gone from short track, you've, you've, you've climbed Mount Everest of racing. You've been an NASCAR guy, you know, you've raced, uh, you know, Daytona's and the Talladega's and, and the Martinsville and the Bristol's you've raced them all. Uh, but now, you, you know, you're back here doing short track racing and the whole point of this is we learn and now you're willing to try to share it uh, and in the proper way, again, controlling the fact that, you know, build quality pieces and you spend time with your customers and make sure because all this conversation that we're having right now is thinking, because I remember what it was like when I was 12 years old, trying to learn about roll centers and A-frames and, and anti-dive and all the stuff, you know, how a spindle needs to be done. What kind of steering do you need? You know, how do you hook your, get the rear end to hook up better? And, you know, all these things that the everyday, and we see a lot more of this, the everyday racer, they didn't do it as, as a kid. You know what I'm saying? They were given a helmet, you know, fortunately by their parents or whatever. And, you know, racing is going at such a fast pace if you're not doing hands-on work, you miss a lot and you need yeah. people like yourself to keep you from getting out in left field, even with quality pieces. If you don't put them together properly, they're not going to drive right. And, yeah. and you're going to be frustrated with your car builder. You're going to be frustrated with, with whoever works on it. If they don't have any more experience, the one thing that you can't, you can't buy is experience. You can't buy it. You got to earn. Yeah. And you, you've been down that path where you, you've got that experience right now. And the cool thing about it, like I keep harping on, is you're willing to share it in the right place, right time, in the right, you know, situation. Um, well, and that's what that's what some of this was. You know, I've watched other shows. You had Fury Race Cars, you know, you got Tony Jr. and his group that, that have a, a, a wealth of knowledge from obviously being around the NASCAR stuff. You go out to Hampy Race Cars. Uh, Robert Hampy was a really good friend of mine, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, he had a lot to do with my career, but um, they, they've been told and the group there has a lot of NASCAR experience. And, you know, they're, they're actually, uh, they use the same quality material we're using. And there's reasons we use it is one is safety. Uh, obviously performance, it is a little lighter, but the biggest thing is the, the, the consistency of it. But people in the industry, it's always that, and I, you hear it all the time, they're like, oh, they got NASCAR money or, oh, they got, they want to, they want to talk it down. It's like, wait a minute, we're able to go. I tell people, it's almost like you went to college and now we're able to learn so much from it, you know, and, you know, and, and I'll use, for example, in our sport of the modifieds, uh, we went through a stage of where they were allowing, starting to allow aftermarket center links and all this stuff. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on here. Okay. We can go down to the parts store and still buy a center link for this car at 60 bucks. Okay. Anywhere in the country, we can do it. Uh, we don't need to get into these center links because I said, boys, I'm going to tell you, the older car, not the current NASCAR cup car, but the older car was based off a of Chevelle front end. And I go, we can get into $2,500 center links. And then guess what? We're going to get into a $1,500 Pittman arm. And, and, and we had to kind of control that and go, listen, we don't need to go down this direction because we've seen it. 
and and we need to keep somebody to kind of keep us in line but the neatest thing and and what i kind of wanted to show today was is like look even though we've been able to compete at the upper levels short track racing is where it's at we try to bring some knowledge and you can see a lot of that you know and and e, e part trades doing that where maybe a racer doesn't know the 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 certain part or anything and again he's not used to looking at a catalog but he can get on the website look around uh, whether it's safety, whether it's whether whether it is performance, and look at stuff because we're dealing with different generation of racers, you know, and and that's something that's hard for me to get used to. I'm a very old school, hands on, just like yourself. You come up working and trying to be around people like you. I know you learn a lot from Junior Johnson and in, in that group, you know. And there's people that's very influential or been an influence on my career, and I go, hey, I can pass that experience on. So. We try to offer that here with our company. And a lot of people think that I just sit behind a desk or I got people doing stuff. And, you know, I'll, I'll get in here. We're working. Uh, guys are at lunch now. But that's probably the best time I have is when I'm able to sit here and just be hands on and kind of clears my head and, and remembers or reminds me of why I love doing this. So when you and we talked a little bit about parts and how you, you're racing. You, you test stuff, you know, on your own cars and, you know, you try to figure out something. Where do you, where do you develop and where have you developed your engineering from? And, or do you have somebody inside within your organization that you depend upon or is it, I mean, who is it? Well, a lot has to do with, again, going back to relationships. You know, I just say, I went to the, the redneck race and engineering school, just short track racing and, being able to be around people like a Robert Hamke or a Howie Leto or um, even, even people in the NASCAR industry. You know, I loved it. One of the things I miss us moving to Pennsylvania, we moved here in April last year was Waddell Wilson coming by the shop. You know, there's, there's just so many people you can learn from. And, but anyways, but I do know my boundaries and, and it's like our cars in a full CAD program. We've uh, we've had two different models done, but last year uh, or excuse me, two years ago, I'm sorry, a year and a half ago, we had it scanned. I don't even know. There's like some Rubik's Cube deal. They come in, scanned it. I know better to where I'll just start getting other people that I know that have the, the, yeah. the knowledge and get them involved. So, uh, you know, a lot has to do with even when we went from a, a, a DOM material to this Pro-Molly, not Chrome-Molly, it was Pro-Molly material, uh, we had to change. It changed the rigidity of the car. So we had to come in and, and do some changes in the chassis. Uh, so we had the same rigidity as what we did before and then kind of learning from there. And I, I lean on people that I have known in the industry and, and uh, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. I'm not an expert at everything. I don't, I don't really claim to know much. I just know a lot of good people is what, what I look at. Well, if you, if you grew up and you, the way that Junior Johnson and people like that told me, you know, watch your competitors. See what he's doing. Look at his car. Don't think this because NASCAR says they're all the same that they are. I mean, it's the little things and the attention to detail that makes a lot of times the difference from a week to week success rate. You know, some people have and other people don't have. I mean, there are people who show up at Daytona and Talladega and they're always fast. Well, yeah, that may be where their strength is. And if you're not up there with them, then you need to start trying to figure out because it's nothing wrong with monkey see, monkey do. No. At least in my world. I, yeah. I don't know how you look at it, but, I, you know, trying to learn from the guys that are beating you. Because, uh, again, if you don't think they're not looking at your stuff, yeah. you got another, another thing coming. It's, you bring up a great, a great point there because there is a, there's a balance you do. Uh, you know, you have to monitor your competitors. And it's funny because as our business model, when we came in, uh, there's some others that have, went with our business model of, of not selling just a bare frame. They sell them as a kit or roller and then putting mm -hmm. an amount, set amount on them. But uh, the thing that's funny is, is there's, there's an old saying, why do horse racers or horses racing horses have blinders on them? And so they can focus at the task at hand. So right. you have to balance that watching your competitors, but then also, all right, what do I need to do? What do I need to do for ourselves or our company? That's like the hardest thing uh, to be able to go forward. And when you're going to the racetrack and you're like, you know, there's just so many variables. And uh, again, you know, just keeping a mental side, whether it's here's what we're focused to do. All right. Here's what we need to work on. 
and and you have to monitor your competitors but you just can't get mentally beat up because they're out there outrunning you or anything else you just have to like i said you monitor what they're doing more than anything but i feel again uh you know it, it you have to look around but yet stay focused and looking at what the task is at hand and i agree with that real quick we've been, ha- I've been having such a, been such a great uh, session here time's getting away from us we got about five or six minutes here folks anybody has a question for david please shoot it over real quick because like i say the clock is kind of winding down and david is is there anything you want to show us i mean i think you got a beautiful shop there behind us behind you uh in different series of car assembly uh anything you want to show there uh that well that, i i kind of went and a lot of people monitor our stuff we've we've been on social media heavy and uh before where we try to keep a lot of our tricks if you look in the back room that's kind of where everything is uh the jigs and where it starts and that's kind of where our secrets are at right now um but one of the things we actually when we moved to this facility we have nine buildings here we have a uh, a showroom that we don't have parts in there yet we're kind of waiting on that phase of the company but uh we have a process that we're doing but i wanted to just show you guys instead of sitting at a desk and in the office Hey, this is our shop. This is uh, what I feel, you know, we bring a lot to the table of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of clean and ready and behind you guys, uh, the monitor here is our parts area and stuff. So just to show a little people kind of what we have going on. Well, we got Cody Peterson up in Minnesota said hello to begin with. And he said, how much rear steer to shoot for in an in a IMCA car? Well, I think a lot has to do with when you look at different brands, and what we've learned, uh, rear steer, I treat a lot like stagger. So if it's a tight corner, we run a lot of rear steer. You get into where it all depends on the brand and if their car and their front end works. I've always been the type Y, turn the car with the rear when you got a front end there. So we work hard on our front end. We don't like to run a lot of rear steer because, again, um, and, and what I mean a lot is we're about five inches. We kind of vary. It depends on track and condition. So uh, a lot has to do with, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a chemistry, I would say of your stagger versus, uh, you know, the size of the track, the type of dirt and grip level would all determine the rear steer in the car. When, when you bring up something like that, how do you, how do you determine it? You talk about size of track. Is that, once again, does that go back to experience? And if, if that's experience, how do you go, um, to a track maybe you've never seen before, I mean, is it a matter of just like, yeah, I look at this track and realize, oh, that's just like Springfield or that's, that's just like, you know, so-and-so. And well, you, does that lead you? What you do is you, you, again, I tell guys and customers, try to race on as many tracks as you can. I don't, I don't even really have what I call a home dirt track. You know, we just, we go all over. If we're going to get better and probably the neatest thing I love about dirt racing, which changed from when we were asphalt, we could go to Hickory and we knew, if we unloaded a hickory in the morning, hey, we're going to have a lot of grip. Sun's going to come out. We're going to slow down. These are times we need to run. Where dirt, it's hard. Like right now, if you look at the winters we're having, the frost level, uh, you know, how, how much moisture is in the, in the dirt and if these track promoters change it. So there's really no sim programs or anything that you can build for dirt racing. So what we try to do is collect as much data as we can. Uh, we just went, before we went to Volusia, we stopped at Golden Isle Speedway. And we had the data system on. So we have, and that's what I, I should say helped me so much in understanding the dirt car is a data system and um, having partners that we have help us with that. We have load cells and everything, four bars, J bar odds, troop chains, just everything we could get on. And then now we, the, the gentleman that we use, he upgraded his system and he has a camera that we can watch everything with our data and it does a track map. So we could sit there and watch everything together. And uh, that's, that's been able to help us out a lot. So we try to run it as much as we can um, to get on as many tracks as we can on different parts of the country. And, and I think, again, that goes back to that experience level. You, you were, I'm not going to say used to it, but you understood the, the, uh, the benefit from being in NASCAR and how important it is. That's where you find that speed and understanding how to make it, you know, better balanced, balanced race car uh, from everything. Um Real quick, when we think about NASCAR, they always come back to aero. You have the same problem with your dirt cars of trying to determine or getting the right kind of, you know, side bite and and downforce to help the cars work better. Well, uh, 
again, we rely on partners that spend time in the wind tunnel um, mm -hmm. that, that are there and uh, that's their expertise. But really what's neat about our modifieds and people, uh, you know, they can argue up and down, oh, my body's this or that. Uh, at the end of the day, our modifieds have a lot of dirty air with no fenders or open, open cars. It's still all about balance. Um, the other thing is, and we, I've seen other brands, uh, go to the wind tunnel, but you know, they don't, at the end of the day, and you know, this Jeff from being in the wind tunnel, they cannot get the all moment is only, I think four degrees or five degrees in the tunnel. You can't get more than that. They're not going to that, you know, the, the, the rolling wind tunnel, they're going to the A1 tunnel where you can put it straight. You can learn a few things, but it's still what's neat in our business. We don't have templates. You just basically a straight edge and a tape measure can can measure everything. So we go off of experience and, and what we're trying to do, but it is crucial that, uh, you know, we get the car at attitude and trying to run it at a certain attitude. But when you look at tracks, just like when we were at Volusia and it was so rough and it's bouncing around, it wasn't nothing about arrow there. It was just mechanically trying to get through the ruts and, and get the best performance we could out of our suspension. We've got one question here. Is a pull-down rig worth an investment for dirt car? No. And I'm going to tell you, listen, I bought a pull-down rig. I had one, sold it to Jimmy Owens. I probably sold 10 of them for uh, that company. But at the end of the day, uh, we go to the pull-down rig, yes. But if you don't have a plan, number one, uh, going there, number two, you don't have all the data, uh, it's a waste of time. Because most racers don't know even their cars travel or where that needs to run. So mm -hmm. we go and, and we'll test and we'll have our data. Then we can go to Penske Racing Chocks has a, a rig. Um, it's a Mittler Brother rig that they converted where you can put a dirt car and activate all the suspension. And it's still a good tool, no different than a set of scales or camera caster gauge or anything like that. Um, you have to know how to use it, but it's not the Bible, you know, and we've spent time uh, and, and we've seen from our experience of at track, the load in the four bar suspension, it's, it's hard to simulate because you don't have engine torque. You're not sitting there running a motor and everything uh, on that suspension. So again, it depends what you're using, but for the average guy to go and say, Hey, I'm going to go buy a rig or I'm gonna go rent time, you better have all your ducks in a row before you go rent time or even buy one. Um, there's still nothing like going to the racetrack and running and getting that experience with the other cars in that, in that what I would call um, climate of the dirt and, and the race going on. There's nothing like that that you can do. You can go test all day long running a track, it's still nothing like going to that racetrack when there's other cars there. Now you bring up a very good point because I've seen a lot of people just because you have technology, the wrong kind of technology can be just as disastrous as no technology at all. Because yes. when you think that you're going the right direction and it's taking you down the wrong path, it, it takes a, it takes a long time sometimes to turn it around, and then you're frustrated. And you, on top of that, you've wasted time and money. And I think you bring up a really solid deal. Is you know, well, what you learn at the racetrack, you've actually learned something at the racetrack. And a racer, so say in in Cody's or uh, in Mr. Peterson's question, you know, companies like Weir's, they make a load stick for the front end of, a, of a, our type of modifieds. It's very easy to collect information from that. You have uh, AccuForce who makes a great smasher. It's a digital uh, smasher that's uh, automated too. It graphs. Again, you're, you're able to refine more of information that you can get and use those tools. Uh, the rig is, again, it's a, it's a, it's just a tool, but it's knowing you got to have so many other pieces to make that, that one tool work. So uh, I don't, again, I don't really push people hard on that rig. I'm like, listen, if you want, go rent some time, but make sure you have all your ducks in a row before you go there. Well, speaking of getting your ducks in a row, David, looks like you and Lethal Chassis have got your ducks in a row and we really appreciate the time you spent with us today. I see Francis and Judy are sitting there and it must mean we're, uh, out of time, but it has been a pleasure. Again, I've, I've enjoyed uh, getting to know you better last season and wish you well the coming season. And appreciate you uh, being a part of ePartrate today. And hopefully the folks out there understanding ePartrate is one of the best tools to a racer right now. You can find a lot of good stuff all right there just at your fingertips. Yes, yes sir. Thank, thank you, David.
Um, and I want to thank you and your beautiful wife, Ashley. I know you guys registered a couple years back and are using the platform. So thank you. Yes, thank you very much for having me on and uh, look forward to seeing you guys around at Tracks. Totally, David. Very welcome. And you are what this industry is all about. You know, small businesses run by racers for racers and that, that's what we love. So thank you very much for being with us today. This episode has been recorded. It will be posted later on on the Portrait platform as well as on our YouTube channel. We will be back next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific and we're going to be celebrating women in motorsport. Uh, and among the guests will be uh, the wonderful Lynn St. James. So thank you very much. Let's go racing and we'll see you next week. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.